There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The big question today, what is up with college sports? When are they coming back? How are they coming back? What will they look like? We got the crew here. We got Jack Collinsworth drinking some coffee. We got Corey Robinson saying hello, drinking coffee. Drinking tea. Oh, drinking tea. Okay, uh, I stand. Interesting. Why? 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 Why tea over coffee? I didn't have time to make coffee this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but you can always microwave water for tea. We're doing it earlier uh, today than we did last time, so that is the uh, the need for the coffee and the tea and the and the pre workout drinks as well. Even if I don't work out today, uh, so let's get right into it, guys. So. First order of business, the NCAA is trying to bring some of these athletes back. You see the story from College Football Talk, NCAA to allow football programs to bring players back to campus starting June 1st for voluntary workouts. One quote in the story, Corey, that I, I found kind of interesting is that the NCAA made sure to stress that the on-campus activities are voluntary Voluntary on-campus athletic activities must be initiated by the student-athlete. Coaches may not be present unless a sport-specific safety exception allows it. So I, I think in spirit, voluntary is, is pretty good because you don't know people's circumstances. But from a practical standpoint, if you tell Brian Kelly, I'm not going to be able to make it and everyone else is there, that's probably not going to fly. So I understand what the NCAA is trying to do here to ease players back in. I just wonder how in practice it's going to look. Yeah, man, we're talking about, you know, all things college football related. This kind of seems like normal, to be really honest with you. I uh, Normally, I'm pretty sure we had to be back on uh, on campus like June 1st anyways. And then all the summer activities beyond um, weight room activities were all voluntary and, you know, like led by us they weren't led by the coaches it couldn't the coaches couldn't be on the field for seven on seven or you know for any type of wide receiver quarterback drills so this looks very normal to me i think that when it comes to voluntary we had a saying back in the day called mandatory optional and i think that that's what this is you're going to have people wondering like oh the sec is coming back june 1st but then the big 10 is thinking about you know june 8th people are going to look for any edge they can get and you're going to feel i feel like i'd be pressured into you know, wanting to play or wanting not to play. That's going to be a really sticky situation. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, and and the, the only people in, in college football that always wind up seeming voiceless are the players. And right now, that's even more illuminated than perhaps ever before. And so what I'm curious about is that if they're not employees and if we're not going to consider them employees, how do we create a unified voice for the players? So if somebody decides that they don't want to play, if somebody decides that this is a terrible idea, that this is way too dangerous, how are they able to voice that opinion and make that opinion heard? And I have concerns about that, given the way that college football has historically been set up. Well, and the fact that it's going to be different depending on different locales, different family situations, you have players who may be living with grandparents and elderly parents, you, you just don't know. And so it really is true that 
everyone's situation is different and how do you do it equitably and fairly you can't paint with this broad brush because even and, and you mentioned it too jack so let me try to pull it up here over um different schools are doing this at different rates here's the the confirmation that the sec is kind of on board with the timeline here although tennessee's philip fulmer is showing some doubt about a june one return the big 10 you know, are they going to come back June 8th? Are all the schools on board there? And so trying to get everyone to, to come on board at the same time is going to be, it's difficult in normal circumstances, going to be insanely difficult now, guys. Well, Notre Dame coming back a couple of weeks early, I thought that was that was of note too. Like you're, you're, I, My at least gut instinct that was that everything was going to be pushed back, that maybe we're going to do a couple of weeks of online classes and then we would get to, whatever you're some new sense of normal, probably distancing classes, whatever, but at least be able to be on campus. I think this is a real sign though, that Notre Dame is doing everything in their power to figure out a way to have football. I think they want to get everybody back there early, give it a couple weeks. If there's any kind of an outbreak, if there's anybody that brings it back to campus with them, that they'll be able to track it, isolate it, put them in quarantine for a period of time. And hopefully it does not break down these plans that they're creating uh, but I thought two weeks early, as opposed to pushing this back, was a real sign that they're trying to make this season happen. And from what I can see on time. And I wonder, too, what this does for the training camp. Right. I, when does when does Notre Dame football go to Culver and do their whole training camp? I, I'd yeah. be very curious. And like like we said before, that week doesn't seem like a lot. But think about this. You have your new your new recruits. You have um people who've never played before with, you know, with each other, or you're looking for people who have played before with each other, but you get an, get an extra week on the field, um, just kind of oiling that machine. That's an advantage, right? So I'm from my perspective, if I'm thinking, oh man, I can get two weeks, one week, three weeks ahead of any other, of Michigan, of USC. I get to throw with my quarterback. I get to throw with Ian and like establish a rhythm. That is, that's a competitive advantage. So it's it's like this kind of this really interesting race before um, race to to start up because people want to get that kind of competitive advantage. Nothing is going to be equitable about this year, about the way the season is played out. And I, I've thought about this so many different times. There's going to be nothing fair about how these schools come back, who has the edge, who doesn't have the edge, because you're going to see some places where the state restrictions may be so loose that you can get the whole team together. You can play in front of fans and mm -hmm. you could then go to another team where you haven't been able to train together. And so this idea that we're going to have a fair and equitable season, I think in any sport, including college football is, is a pipe dream at this point. And hopefully I guess we're going to have to be okay with that, that there are going to be some teams that have had advantages and some teams that have had to overcome things that others did not. I, but, I saw Sorry, sorry. I, I just wanted to bring up one quick point that I heard from Mark Cuban with return to the NBA, which I'm sure you probably already know about, Corey. You're, you're our NBA expert here. Uh, but his point was that if you so if you're quarantining with the family, right? So if you're at home with your family, let's say it's a seven person family, whatever it is. So the Robinsons are all quarantining at home. The Collinsworths are all quarantining at home so that you would have the ability to go to the game with your quarantine crew. Does that make sense? So if that's seven people, so no longer do you have two people sitting. Now there's six feet before you have another group sitting. So it essentially would be a family here, six feet, another family. So it gives you an ability to start to fill up a stadium because you've already been exposed to that group of people. And it made me really think about Jack Swarbrick. And Swarbrick's whole point was that they don't want to play football games unless you have the ability to have mm -hmm. students in the stands. What if you took that same principle 
with people that you room with, your dorm mates, the four people that are in your in your hall or what have you, the four people that you see every single day and separated it like that. So if Sorbrick just wants students there, what if we just put them in the stands based on who they live with? It'd look a lot like the spring game. It would. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm right. saying? Like you would have whole sections of the stadium to say, look, you know, maybe it's just kind of spotted or maybe you would say no one's going to sit in the north side of the stadium. Yeah. yeah, it would look a lot like the spring game. Yeah, Notre Dame. Here's some of the things that Notre Dame has said they're going to try to do. Uh, said it will enhance cleaning measures, also plans to have COVID-19 testing, contact tracing, quarantine, isolation protocol, social distancing rules, mask requirements, a new normal they're facing it at Notre Dame. And I think it's good in a lot of these leagues. We've seen baseball. We've seen the NFL. You come out with plans. We talked about it last week about MLB coming out with the 67-page document of the different ways they're going to keep everyone safe. It's all good to have a plan. Things are going to go a little haywire, and you have to anticipate that. And so you have to – how are you going to react when that does happen? Um, But Notre Dame coming back two weeks early, as you mentioned there, Jack. And then I saw – well, I saw this from, uh, from The Onion. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the onion. Uh, Notre Dame to reopen campus fall semester. And here's the fake quote. It's a tough call, but you just can't deprive students of a few months in Indiana. I mean, that, right? I mean, that's, that's I mean, true. There's nothing like summertime in Indiana, though. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. Yeah. But I do, I do think this, this, is, this is really interesting because we've seen some issues with, you know, off, like players in the offseason in the NFL. You know, people are getting arrested. This is an issue for... That I think is actually a great solution. If you can bring football players back in the summer and kind of just like have everyone in one space, give them a chance to escape whatever environments they're coming from. Uh, I think that's a, a, a really great thing for a lot of people because one of the issues is that we, as athletes, we crave structure, we crave routine because our lives are routine, right? Yeah. Um, so when you take away that routine and that discipline, it creates a lot of issues. And that's just kind of across the board, but particularly in my experience as a football guy, we need that more than other people. So I think from like a, a mentoring young men perspective, bringing football players back early is one of the best things we can do. Yeah, I, I totally yeah. agree. These dead periods sometimes can be some of the most dangerous times for football players because there's just so much free time to fill. I mean, especially the NFL guys, right? They don't have a job where they're in bed by midnight and up by 9 a.m. In the offseason, they're, they have a whole bunch of money in the bank and a whole bunch of time to kill. And so that those can be a dangerous combination. Uh, with regard to getting this college football season off the ground, it, so much of it comes down to money. It's all about the money. And, and how can you figure out a way to, if you don't have an on-time season, for these colleges to not go bankrupt? Because the reality is these university presidents are freaking out about the possibility of people not paying tuition, people asking for a slice out of their tuition, or donations stopping to come in. And all three of those are very, very possible and will happen quickly if football doesn't happen on time. 100%. I love how you brought that up, Jack. 100%. Yeah, because here is, you know, there are some universities in California you see, they are going to be probably online the whole fall semester, maybe the whole year. Cal State, one of the biggest uh, colleges and structures in, in the country, they don't want to bring their students back on campus. And so you're, you're right. Yeah. Will the money be there uh, like it has been in the past for a lot of these colleges? The answer is, is no for, for a lot of these schools. And there's one thing I wanted to show you here, too. And let me let me pull it up because it kind of goes with what you were saying, Jack, about the, the stadiums and how you do it and how you fill these up. It was just something I kind of thought about. It's like here you got the big house in, in Ann Arbor, Ooh. right? There's a way. There's a beautiful looking stadium. I love that. It's a beautiful, even empty. 
hopefully it doesn't look like that when they're playing games uh, in the fall, but the chances are it could. But there's a way to figure out here, guys, how to fill you know, 30,000 fans in the stadium like that. And so Michigan maybe can get some fans in there, make a little bit of money. But then you, you talk about other schools and the competitive disadvantage of a, a school like Syracuse. This is where I went, and you got a dome, an enclosed stadium um, in, in New York, and it might be a longer time before you see anybody allowed uh, in that building. And so it just goes to show that all of these different schools, even if you kind of have the same strategy, you're in different places just sometimes because of the structure you're building. Yeah, and what's crazy is so that ES, there's a great article on ESPN about the future of college sports and said that, you know, there's could be a, up to on our conservative estimate $4 billion lost across all the Power 5 schools. But the interesting wow. note out of that $4 billion is $1 billion or so is out of ticket revenue, right? And lost ticket uh, football sales. The only, if you took away the football ticket revenue, the only two schools, um, athletic departments that would be self-sufficient are Georgia and Texas A&M. And you're talking about like the big house shot about Syracuse. A&M's Kyle Field is one of the biggest stadiums in college football, right? Wow. And they managed to figure out a way to become self-sufficient without football sales. So from my perspective, I'm like, yeah, I love this idea. If you could figure out a way to sell maybe half the stadium or a quarter of the stadium. That's what they did with, um, in San Antonio back before we did the AT&T Center. They just put a huge curtain up and only sold half the stadium um, for the Alamo Dome. There could be ways around it that could help subsidize that, that hurt and that blow to the other universities. Yeah, and we haven't even got to yet. So when you start building out a schedule, so what happens now if you are in week three of the season and you're trying to kick this thing off on time? And so much of it is going to be tied to what's happening in the world. So we're reopening the world right now, reopening our country. So as we reopen our country, if we can keep this curve flat or maybe keep it going downward and everything's going great, everything points to an on-time season. Now, if this thing starts doing this at any day this week or next week, we're having a totally different conversation. I mean, all these deadlines are already moving backwards. This the, We're already getting to what were some of the initial deadlines, but they've already, you know, very subtly, whoop, 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 just kept pushing that deadline back, trying to buy themselves time for the decision. And it's because the reality is everything we're talking about is tied to the real world. And so uh, if the United States of America is in a good spot, I think college football is in a good spot. If the United States of America is in a bad spot, I think college football has no damn chance. A lot yeah, of it, almost- a lot of it is optimism, Corey. You're right. And it is. Zach, you're right. A lot of it is this is hope. what we hope. This is where we hope to be. Uh, optimism is good. It can get you through tough times, but it's often not a very good strategy. So you, you hope those two line up. And I will say that if you're talking about empty stadiums and losing a ton of money, I do love this. It's not really a joke, but I there's so there the cardboard cutouts here in Germany. But look at the caption here. It says that for 20 bucks, you could pay for your own likeness in the stands, and some of that money goes to, to COVID relief. <laughs> I, kind of a cool I, you're gonna see so many different strange ideas out there of, of how to make money, how to raise money for the different charities. And I don't hate I don't hate this one. This one kind of it would look better than an empty stands. True. I wonder because what happens is uh, they're doing the same thing in, in South Korea. I don't know about the whole buying a ticket, but they just put like these kind of uh, wallpapers of fans on the South Korean baseball stadium. I thought that was hilarious. But like right now you have some people, you know, some bands are obviously everything's canceled as far as live shows throughout the rest of the year in the U.S. And uh, I've heard that some bands are like maybe you can buy tickets just to support the band. You know, what if you do that with college football and say you can still buy your ticket, you know, just to support the organization. You know, that, that could still work as a theory, almost like a donation to, to your favorite football program. Yeah. 
Yeah. And are I think you people... guys opposed to the, the the spring football idea? I think it's worth at least bringing up because because if you're going to get to and I'll, a lot of medical experts and I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor at all, but a lot of medical experts and the top ones are saying that there's at least a possibility and, and really a high possibility that in some form we see the coronavirus return in the fall. So even if numbers do diminish, that we could see a return in the fall. So if that does happen and we go to a full spring football model, college football season is essentially three months and some change, right? You go September, October, November into December, just a little bit. If you moved it to February, March, April, and then a few of the first weeks in May, Corey, do you believe that the best players would show up? Do you believe the Trevor Lawrence's of the world, guys who have real NFL first round capability, would show up to play college football, or do you think that they would dip out and go straight to the NFL draft, which we already know is going to be held exactly when it's scheduled? Well, look, I feel like you have to, you have to, I mean, obviously in, in football, you have to play whatever three years. So you would have to show up and play. My only concern is, man, who'd want to play football outside in Indiana, January, February, March? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That's I hope so we had a lot cool. of games in USC. That's all I got to say. Yeah, the yeah, Lions and Packers would look at you and the Vikings and all those teams that sometimes play in, in cold weather. They'd, right, they'd, exactly. They'd I mean, not up. everyone's made for that. But I will say this, though. I think what's happening in college football and college sports generally, and even college, I'm going to throw it all in there. This is existential threats. Jack, if it moved to the spring, if you're a great football player, why would you play? Like, you know, that's that's right. That's leading up into the NFL draft and the NFL season. You would have three months off before going, you know, so it's not even in your best interest to play if you're at that caliber, but there are no other options. It's not like the NBA with the G League where guys are foregoing college basketball to go play overseas or the G League because this is a business decision for them and they can afford to take that year off. But I would see if you do a spring season, you would probably see the same trend happening in football. People would look for alternatives. What, what do you think of that? I'm, I'm curious because you, you saw the XFL and we saw the AAF, both of which, you know, there, there was there was skeptics that said spring football is not going to work. because There's not an appetite for, for year round football. And there was. I mean, there was a pretty strong appetite. I think the XFL was going to be around for years and years and years had the pandemic not struck it right in the nose. Uh, so I think that there is an appetite for spring football. So so if disaster does strike in some form or another and we can't have an on time season, does it make sense to move this thing towards the spring? And even if we do lose a Trevor Lawrence or one or two other first rounders, that we can actually have a college football with pack stands. Sure. And I think people are more willing now if they see it as a temporary change. If you ask people, we're going to run the college football season in uh, March, April, May from now until forever, they go, I don't like that. I like it in the fall and the leaves fall. And I like that tradition of it. But I think people are certainly more willing to, to make exceptions now. If it was a new type of league, and I think that is an interesting point about what we like about sports um, because if you say, oh, we just love football and we cannot get enough football, well, then these other football leagues like the XFL and the, what was it, the AAF would not struggle because we would gobble it up so quickly and devour that football uh, product so fast. But it is about tradition. So if you have schools that have a ton of tradition, like an Ohio State fan, they love their team. They're going to watch their team play in December, January, February, March, April, May, in middle of the night or not. Um, but uh, these schools that don't have the tradition are, are, are going to have a little bit more trouble than that. Um, so I think it's like, like everything else, it's specific to the to the team. But if it was a one time thing, Jack, I would I would agree that that people could get used to it and be on board. If it was the decision between that and no college football season, 
I'll take uh, I'll take college football in February. Yeah, I would agree with that. I wanted to ask you guys a question though. This is this is something that I read that was absolutely fascinating to me. So the Oregon State AD um, Scott Barnes said that up to 80, 75 to eighty five percent of their athletic department revenue come from football mm. alone, right? So you've already seen like University of Cincinnati, they cut their soccer program, you know, yep. like ECU cut men's swimming, uh, men's and women's swimming and diving and men's and women's tennis. All these athletic departments are shrinking. You know, this is you see this contraction. I, I think it's going to be really fascinating moving forward. Like, OK, how do you even plan an athletic department? Would you only pick revenue generating sports? Would you only pick the things that you're sending people to the Olympics? Are you only picking your most successful championships? And then what happens to all those other kids? you know, who dreamt of coming to Notre Dame to play tennis or whatever. Like, that's not even fair to them. I would love to hear y'all's perspective on that. This is uh, here, here, yeah. right to what you're talking about here, Corey and Jack, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. This is out of a, uh, a paper in New Jersey, and they're talking about baseball programs here and all the schools around the country who have already cut their, their baseball program, who didn't, it wasn't a full scholarship program anyway. I think they probably had 30 kids on the team, maybe 10 of them were getting full scholarships, maybe even fewer than that. But still, these are some of the schools that are that are cutting their baseball programs. Here's what they're estimated in saving. And these aren't some of these sports do not cost a ton of money. And there was some uh, a sports business professor that dropped this quote in the story. And I thought this was interesting. I think dropping sports is basically a knee jerk reaction. Many of the schools using the pandemic as an excuse for something they already wanted to do. There may mm. come a time when dropping a sport is a viable solution, but it should be the last one. And based on many different things, and so you hope that's not the case, but you wonder how many schools out there are seeing this as, a, as an opportunity to to save some money. I think there's going to be permanent changes as a result of everything that's happening. Uh, online classes, uh, a drop in tuition, all of those things were already on the table for colleges based on how how good technology's gotten, the access of information. You no longer have to go to a library and look up 14 different books to make a point about something. You hit Google for about two two different clicks and you have any piece of information you want in the whole world. So how much longer yeah. you'll be able to get away with these $50,000 tuition numbers? Uh, my guess is not very long. That was already going to be a reality. You take a pandemic like this and like we're saying, it takes 2025 and smushes it into 2020. And that's one of the results we're living with. I think another one's going to be everything you have going on with recruiting. So think mm -hmm. about the budgets. These big football programs have for not only their head coach, who's flying on a private jet all over the country about three times a week, but for all the assistant coaches who are just, you know, buzzing yeah. to every different corner of the country, one after another, checking in with families, checking in with moms, checking in with recruits, bringing guys to campus. I think all of these budgets are going to be just shot moving forward. I think you're going to see college football in general move much more towards a digital recruiting model, a social media recruiting model, a Zoom recruiting model. All of those things is going to make it a much more enjoyable process for coaches, uh, a much more enjoyable life for coaches, a much more doable life for coaches. Uh, and I think it's it's inevitable that we're headed in that direction. And this has only accelerated that process. I, I agree. And, and you wonder, so that would work if everyone is kind of agreeing and in the same boat. But if you feel like if one school feels like, well, if everyone's moving to this digital model, Mm -hmm. Maybe I maybe I keep this old school and now I have an edge because I'm sending my scouts actually out there and building up relationships. And so it, it's tough to get everyone everyone on board with that. But I think we saw with the with the draft. Uh, You'd have to make a rule, right? It'd have to be You're mandated right. like it You're is right. right now. 
That's a, that's a good point. Yeah, you would have to make it make it ruled and legislated. But I think what we saw with the NFL draft is that the GMs and coaches being home with their family, I think they loved that. And I, I hope that we're seeing <laughs> yeah. a time here. Yeah, where unnecessary totally travel agree. around the world. It's like, do you really need to be on the road uh, every day for recruiting weekend? So hopefully, yeah, we can appreciate time at home and still get the same quality work done there. I think that'd be awesome. And and you could get to know not only could the coach get to know the player's family, but the player could then get to know the coach's family. And how are you going to learn more about your future coach better than getting to know his family and how yeah. he reacts and you know how he well, lives around his family? I think it's a great thing. Well, yeah, I, I agree that you know being a coach, a college coach, is crazy because like I remember when we played Ohio State the Fiesta Bowl, the next day they hit the road recruiting. Like, think about that. You play the whole season. The next day, you're on the road for the next two, three months. And then spring ball starts. So, like, it's a crazy lifestyle. But I will say this, though. In college, it's not really about, like, talent evaluation, in my personal opinion, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, everyone knows you can play or whatever. Maybe take a chance on someone. Like, someone took a chance on me. That's great. But you can kind of, like we saw in the draft, you can assess that on Zoom and through mm -hmm. tape and through, you know, virtual interviews. You don't necessarily need to fly out to South Texas to see a kid run routes. Yeah. But – the thing that makes the difference in college sports is all relationships. Ask anybody. I know Jack's talked to a million like Notre Dame guys. It's always about I felt comfortable here. It felt like family. I thought they could, I could trust them. You know, the parents like I feel like I can trust them with my son. It's all relationships, and that's going to be the biggest pushback from these college coaches. Yeah. How, how much of how much of your recruiting process would you have lost? Uh, how much more unlikely would it have been that you would perhaps have ended up at a place like Notre Dame? Like, like how key, I guess, really is the question is that personal touch with regard to recruiting. Did you feel like you made your decision when the coach was in your house? Uh, did you feel like you made the decision when your feet, when your feet hit the campus? What, what is the ultimate over the top deciding factor for a young kid coming out? Well, it, once again, it's different because some, it just depends on your situation for me. I was a no-name recruit, right? So, like, I finished my junior season, and I didn't have – I had zero offers. I went to one oh, wow. camp, and then the next – like, I think three days later, Notre Dame gave me a full ride. So then I think I only ended up with five offers versus, like, Romeo, who had, like, 60. You know what I'm saying? So five is a lot for me, but not for other people. But the thing that – out of those five schools, Coach Kelly flew down South Texas, flew to San Antonio, and had dinner with me and my family, you know? And that makes a huge difference. Like, are you kidding me? I'm sitting there like I'm a nobody in football yeah. terms. And Coach Kelly is like in my living room talking to my mom, you know, and like yeah. hanging out with my high school coach and saying hello to my dad's business partner. Like, that was really neat. You don't but think a thing Zoom call would have had the same effect, Corey? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, guess who we have on the other line? Coach Kelly? No, I, uh, the, the thing that really made the difference for me is going on campus. Because when, when you actually get a chance to go to Notre Dame, that sold it. But a lot of kids don't get the chance to fly. I mean, to fly to five different, you know, official visits. Like that's a lot. That's a lot. So unless yeah. you're a highly touted recruit, how are you going to fund that? Can, you, can want... you replace that that personal touch? No, probably not. Yeah. But when every when every single college across the country, especially these big programs, start looking at the travel budget, which I'm sure is probably fifty million plus every year, yeah. that's staring them in the face with regard to recruiting. I mean, we've seen how money can make decisions, and I, I think that this may accelerate that decision-making process. It's, it's that decision that every company makes and every person should make, too. Can I get 80% or 90% of the results with 20% of the cost? And a lot of times, if right. you can do that, you'll, you'll make that, that trade-off. I do wonder about this in recruiting, this one-year sample of schools finding the recruits. It's not going to be like this always, but I do wonder about because you're already – 
guys dealing with a small sample size of film for some of these high school players? And do you have a whole lot of information? If some of them miss a year or if you can't get up close and personal and see them, I do wonder how, just the same way with the NFL draft, where I think a lot of teams had to draft with less information than they've had before, you're going to see some colleges have to recruit with less information than they have before, which is going to cause some mistakes. It's going to be more of a wild card, I think, for some of these schools in recruiting because you just don't know as much as you maybe had before. Particularly for spring sports. Yeah. Like, right. Re imagine recruiting for lacrosse right now. Like, totally. <laughs> what? Yep. So, I mean, that that's one good thing about these schools that, uh, you know, I, I had a couple of softball friends back in Notre Dame who, I mean, they committed freshman, sophomore year, like in high school. So that's the nice thing about some of those sports where like you get identified so early um, that you may already have, you may already committed by the time you're a freshman in high school. That has a whole host of other issues, but in this, in this regard, it's almost like a good thing in the case of pandemic because you don't lose a season, you don't lose an opportunity to show what you have. And spring football getting zinged from a different standpoint has a similar effect in that that, that has massive bearings on creating your team and creating your your roster and young guys making a name for themselves and earning an ability to get playing time by fall camp. So if, if you if you now go to a, a model where you have basically six weeks to get in shape, all those young guys just lost so much opportunity to prove themselves uh, through the course of spring football, all these workouts that would have been occurring now into the summer. I mean, you're going to have six weeks to just get yourself in some sort of fighting shape, and then boom, you're in pads for the first time. So you never got to see any of these guys hit, never got to see any of these guys full go, never got to teach any of the offense to these young guys, teach any of the defense to these young guys. It's going to have massive effects on the quality of football that we're going to see because these guys, all of these teams have missed a lot. So we have some good news because these graduating kids, high school, college, have not gotten the full experience. But there are some instances out there of, of people and parents being able to participate in some of that. I'm going to get to that here in like 30 seconds. Do you guys have any final thoughts on college football or anything that yeah. we missed before? Okay. I just have one, one quick thing. I, you know, I enrolled early, so I 100% agree with Jack. That's the reason why I went to school early was because I needed those four months to see the speed of the game. And it helped me, it had a direct impact on me playing as a freshman, as a true freshman. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, I, as, a, as a parting thought, I just think it's really interest, interesting to see the, if kids even, um, I don't think kids believe in college anymore, right? Like, I just don't think in the current environment of this reality TV show, celebrity, like people think they can make money in a million different ways. It's more mm. about being famous. They think they can learn these things on their own. And then you add in a $65,000 a year tuition. Like people, I think, are college is really struggling. They have to, they have to convince people, hey, it's yeah. worth it. Come here. And then now it's all virtual. And that, I mean, this is going to be a big blow in general. And I think that's going to have influence on athletic recruiting because not only if these kids have like the opportunity to go abroad, you're telling an 18 year old, why go through college when you could just go to Italy and play basketball, get paid and then come back to the NBA. That's right. almost it's like a four year study abroad that you get paid for, you know, yeah. like it's going to be such a hard sell on every level going forward. And I, I think it's an existential threat to the, yeah. To college, yeah. What what my, what's my, your my, ROI of going to college, right, Jack? And it's like it's it's been it's been getting a little out of whack over the last ten years, anyway. And if all classes are online right now, you're absolutely right. Some of these colleges are in trouble. My parting thought is that we better be really careful with this because I think it's going to be easy to say. Let's let's say the South, the SEC, is back and they're playing football. It's going to be really enticing to say we have to get on the field, we have to go. But I, it's important to remember here, we're going to be bringing, uh, you know, 
thousands and thousands and thousands of kids from all over the country, mm-hmm. a bunch of different parts of the country, a bunch of different parts of the world. I know for Notre Dame specifically, all to one location who mm-hmm. can bring anything they want with them. Now you get to the weekend, you have everybody going out and drinking, everybody tailgating, everybody mixing and matching in different ways. Now you go after a game. Now everybody goes to CJ's downtown to a bar, interacts with the local community, now comes back to campus. All of this stuff, when you talk about tracking and tracing and isolating, it's not like it only happens once at the beginning of the year. It is going to be a weekly basis. And if this thing comes back in the fall, we better be really careful with how we attack this thing because these are young kids making no money and safety has to come first. Yep. And it's not just about the community there in South Bend when all the kids go home in the wintertime. They're spreading out all across the country, all across the world, too. And so that is one thing, too, with a financial aspect. Speaking of all around the world, a lot of these schools rely on the international student coming from abroad and paying full tuition and full room and board. And so you talk about the financial struggles that some of these schools may be having that could have an impact on sports. I think the international student population dwindling is going to have a serious impact, maybe on some schools more than others. But that's uh, that's something to watch as well. Awesome points, as always, guys. So here, Corey, you sent this. Uh, you sent this to oh, me. So these are go. some yeah. some recent college graduates that are trying to make the most of it, right? Yeah. Shout out to Rex Fluger, man. Uh, this is him out in Zion National Park, and I saw this on Instagram. I was like, man, could you imagine getting the news that you got your MBA in the middle of Zion National Park, tanning <laughs> with your family? So I was like, you know, that's really cool stuff for him. And uh, congratulations to Rex and his whole family. He played yeah. basketball in Notre Dame. He's a great guy. Oh, my gosh. Look at these shots. Right? That's what I'm saying. Like, that's kind there of the way is. to graduate. I don't want to be the guy, you know, who says, I mean, this is I, like I, an improvement. This is an improvement <laughs> on how it normally goes. A three hour standing for three hours outside in May, waiting to go into a stadium where you look at, go back one really quick. Ahmed, you see that view with the wait? Oh, sorry. Uh, one, one slide. Yeah. Like that view. Yeah. Oh, man. And here you got a sneak preview of it. This you sent me too as well, Corey. This is a, a, a old grad from Notre Dame and a current grad. Yeah, and their and their family members. And this is the thing: is at Notre Dame, uh, women weren't allowed until the '70s. So this guy graduated. This gentleman graduated in the '60s, I believe, and that's his granddaughter that's showing awesome. the the stole. And and he starts crying and said, "I've always wanted a, a lady in our family to go to Notre Dame and graduate." And and this is what it's all about, right? You have dreams, not just her dreams, but the entire family's dreams, you know, and being able to participate in that. And that's what graduation is about. So it's beautiful. That's cool. I mean, that that makes you feel a little bit better because you think of I was thinking how devastated I would be if my senior season in high school, I, was, I played baseball. If I missed that, I mean, how devastating is that? To It all builds up. You play all throughout high school, elementary school, even before that. You finally get to your senior year and it doesn't go the way you want it to go. It might not even happen at all. So it's good to see there are at least some stories out there where, where it's, it's got a little positive twist to it, a, a happy ending. Hey, Guys, well done. Hey, all right, we did it. We did it again. That's college sports. That's kind of a look at what's possibly coming down the road. Maybe we'll have to do one in another week when everything completely changes, guys. And everything <laughs> yeah, we say tomorrow. is, yeah, is <laughs> yeah. irrelevant. Yeah, good. I'll see you guys Sunday. How about that? Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Good seeing you, Jack, Corey. Well done. All things college football. Have a great weekend, boys.